got here an article that starts off by saying that the American Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU, which has made a practice of contesting Ten Commandments displays in public places nationwide, and this was news to me, I wasn't aware of this, has not won a case at the Court of Appeals level since 2005. Isn't that good news? And in January, praise the Lord, and uh, in January they lost another. A two-to-one decision by the U.S. Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals found January 14th that posting the Ten Commandments at the Grayson County Courthouse in Kentucky did not violate the U.S. Constitution because it was a part of a display of historical documents including the Magna Carta, the Mayflower Compact, and the Bill of Rights. The ACLU said religion was the primary motivation behind posting the Ten Commandments, not educational or historical reasons. But the court found that available evidence did not support that contention. County officials were forced to remove the document from a frame on the second floor of the courthouse in 2002 when the ACLU first filed a lawsuit and more than 200 people were there January 18th when the Ten Commandments were returned to the frame. They sang God Bless America and Amazing Grace and then my my favorite part of the story and then they ate sheet cake. I mean, glory to God, let's eat sheet cake decorated with the American flag according to the Associated Press. Amen. All right. (laughs) You know, I think, and your your spontaneous response kind of helps me here because, you know, I think if you're a Christian, if you're a believer in the Bible, you you hear a story like that, you read a story like that, and, and it feels a little bit like a victory, doesn't it? I mean, you feel like, yeah, yeah, we want one. But, you know, as we get excited about that, and and should, you know, I can't help but think, did God get excited? Did did, did God consider that a great victory? Were the angels in heaven erupting in applause and and high-fiving each other? Yeah, man, the Ten Commandments, they're they're posted afresh again next to the the Bill of Rights and the Magna Carta and the Mayflower Compact uh, to collect dust on the second floor of the Grayson County Courthouse in Kentucky. Now, now, don't misunderstand me. I believe there's something very significant. I believe there's something very symbolic about posting the Ten Commandments. They were talking about a school or a home or a, a, a government building. I also think there is equally something very significant, something very symbolic when, when a nation, when a government chooses to remove them. But is the great passion of God to see the Ten Commandments posted somewhere in a nice frame? Or is His passion to see the Ten Commandments posted in our hearts and lived out in our lives? A Gallup poll found that 85%, that's a huge number, that surprised me a little bit, 85% of Americans believe that the Ten Commandments are still binding today. They're still true today. They are still worthy of being lived by today. Now, 15% of them could only name as many as five. The other 85% couldn't even name that. So the Ten Commandments, man, they're great. Man, people ought to live by them. Don't, don't know what they are, but man, we ought to live by them. Oh, folks, we, we still need the Ten Commandments. They are a moral compass for our soul. And they answer 
huge, significant questions like, how do I love God? How am I to love others? Did you know the Ten Commandments will never, that's a big word, isn't it? Never lead you astray. They will always lead you to where you want to be in knowing and loving and serving God in knowing and loving and serving others. Jesus in the New Testament said there was two great commandments. He said the the first or he said the, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. That's the greatest and most important. The second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the the two great commandments are a summary of the ten. Or, or you could say the ten are an expansion, an elaboration on the two. How do I love God with all my heart, soul, and mind? Well, commandments numbers one through four will tell you how to do that. How do I love others as I love myself? Well, commandments five through ten will tell you how to do that. You know, there's a, a great, simple practicality to the Ten Commandments also. They tell us that there are some things that are absolutely right and some things that are absolutely wrong. We need that. You know, most of what's inside me fights against that. I don't like being told what to do. And I really do like doing whatever I want to do. Coupled with the fact that I live in a culture that that is aggressively teaching there are no absolute truths, which, by the way, would be an absolute truth. You you cannot say that anything is absolutely wrong. You cannot say that that anything is absolutely right. That is offensive. Man, you you let everybody make up their own truth. Let everybody live in the way that is good for them. Live and let live. It sounds wonderful. The only problem is, sooner or later, my living is going to collide with your living. And your living is going to collide with mine. And then we've got a problem. We can't both be right when we're in a collision. Somebody's wrong. Folks, we need absolute rights, absolute wrongs. It is the safest way to live. It gives us as individuals, it gives us as a community, a way to live and to thrive. We need the Ten Commandments. And they're going to guide us to those things that are absolutely right and those things that are absolutely wrong. Now, they're... They're hard to live by, aren't they? That's a little bit of an understatement. We rebel against them. We break them. Sometimes we do it knowingly. Sometimes we do it unknowingly. But we have broken the Ten Commandments more times than we can count. You know, if you think about it, when a teacher gives a test, we've got some teachers in here, if everybody fails, you kind of think maybe the test wasn't a good test, right? And you think, well, I've got to take the test out. Or I've got to put a huge curve on it. Maybe that's what we need God to do. Hey, God, you gave Ten Commandments nobody can obey. Could you you put some kind of curve on this? Or, Or just, no, folks, we don't need God to bend the rules. The rules are good. They're good. We don't need Him to bend them. We don't need Him to take them away. You know, ultimately, if you think about it, it's the Ten Commandments that send us to the cross. Because that's the only place we have to go in life. Where all of our offenses against those Ten Commandments can be justly paid for. I'm not sure without the Ten Commandments 
that we would go to the cross. I think most of us have a tendency to, I'm a pretty good person. I'm pretty moral. I'm, I'm religious. I'm, I'm this. I'm that. Really? Have you kept the Ten Commandments? No, you haven't. So you're neither moral nor religious. The Ten Commandments show you how completely far from God you are because the Ten Commandments are a representation of the character of God. You've heard me say that before. He says don't murder because he's life. Well, I've never murdered anybody. Really? Jesus said if you hate somebody, you're guilty of the Ten Commandments of murder. Ooh, really? Well, it must have been something metaphorical in that. Folks, without the Ten Commandments, I'm not sure we would go to the cross. So you see, the Ten Commandments give me a way to live with others. And the Ten Commandments guide me and help me to go to, the, go to God humbly. I don't know that I'd go humbly without them. To go humbly and dependently to God. We need the Ten Commandments. Let's hear them afresh. Well, can we? Let's turn and look at them at Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. 20. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, I hope you'll use one of ours there. It's in front of you in the chairs. If it's not right in front of you, it shouldn't be too far away. You can point to it. I think somebody will hand it to you. Exodus chapter 20. The the Ten Commandments appear again in Deuteronomy chapter 5. But we're going to be reading out of Exodus 20. Beginning in verse 1. It says, Then God spoke all these words. Now there's, there's something right there for us, isn't there? Where did the Ten Commandments come from? God. God spoke these words. These are His words. This is what He said. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods besides me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Jealous God? I thought the Bible said jealousy was wrong. And he says, is that a contradiction? Isn't that what people say? Oh, the Bible contradicts itself. Right there, it says God's jealous. How would you answer that? Well, you come back next week and you'll find out. No, Kirby, don't give the answer. It's next week. I'm going to ask another rhetorical question. Shh. (laughs) <laughs> you must, he can do that because he's my doctor uh, you, you must not bow down to them or worship them For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God Punishing the children for their father's sin To the third and fourth generations of those who hate me Boy, that's harsh, isn't it? Come back next week and we'll find out But showing, now look at this But showing faithful love to a thousand generations Of those who love me and keep my commands. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Because the Lord will punish anyone who misuses his name. You think we might have forgot that one? Verse 8. Remember to dedicate the Sabbath day. You are to labor six days and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You or your son or daughter, your male or female slaves, your livestock or the foreigner who's within your gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. Honor your father and mother so that you may have a long life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. 
Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. Do not covet your neighbor's house. Do not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female slave, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. What is God's first great word? And here's the operative word for you. You see, what I'm going to suggest throughout these series is that each one of these commands is not a hoop to jump through. It's not a rule to keep so I can get into heaven. God is giving these commands for you. Therefore, your well-being, your life. And so what's the first word God has for your life? No other gods before me. Now, wait a minute. How's that for me? That, that kind of sounds like it's for him. That, that's something he benefits from. He, he's saying, I'm number one in the universe. Put me in that spot. Keep me in that spot. Well, now, wait a minute. That serves him. How does that serve me? Oh, folks, do you know that what God just said here is the most kind and gracious word he could have given you? Because you see, you have in your life, in your body, you have a God spot. You have a number one spot. And your propensity, your nature, is to, put a, is to put a multitude of wrong things in that spot. You will put anyone and anything into that spot and it will mess your life up every single time. Ultimately, it will affect you emotionally, relationally, physically, spiritually. It will touch, it will damage your life. If you put anything in the God spot, that's not God. And you know, we wouldn't know this if he didn't say this. Put God in the God spot. We are to worship him only. You are created to worship. There's an old preacher by the name of G. Campbell Morgan from the, the 1900s. He has a great statement about this. Could we look at that statement here? It is impossible for man to live without having an object of worship as it is for a bird to fly if it is taken out of the air. The very composition of human life, the mystery of man's being, demands a center of worship as a necessity of existence. All of life is worship. The question is whether the life and powers of man are devoted to the worship of the true God or to one that is false. Folks, you're going to worship. You're going to put something in the God's body. Doesn't matter if you're an atheist. Doesn't matter if you believe there's anything to all this. You're designed for it and you're going to do that. So the only question is, am I putting the true God in that spot or a false God or a multiplicity of false gods into that spot? Or maybe the bigger question is, do I even know what I have in that spot? If, folks, when we think of, of God, and I'm not necessarily using a biblical definition here. I'm just talking about what man's usually running after when he's running after God. We're, we're looking for something that gives us hope, something that gives us answers, a, a sense of worth, a sense of meaning. We're looking something to hold on to, something that's going to make sense out of life and, and pull it together. And man, we put a, a ton of different things. There's a lot of different things that we think do that for us. Well, for a lot of years, we've put Elvis in that spot. I, are you telling me there's not people who get a sense of life and hope and meaning out of Elvis? They sure do. 
That, that is their God. He is in the God spot. And we put sex and we put money and we put our job and achievements and, and our kids and we put people. Sometimes it's not even a certain person, but it's a kind of relationship. There's a certain kind of relationship I'll give all of life to. Different people may come in and out of that relationship, but it's that relationship that I serve, that relationship that I worship. And we will put all kinds of things there. We've got a new up and coming God in America. Did you know that? Now, he he actually this, this false God is, is probably one of the top false gods in hum, in humanity, in human history, but kind of new on the American scene. The, the new up and coming false God in America is the earth. We are rapidly becoming earth worshipers. And that statement has more impact on American society today than I think maybe anything else. As a matter of fact, there's even a Ten Commandments for the earth. Ernest Kallenbach, most of you don't know that name, wouldn't care to know that name, but he has put together a Ten Commandments for the earth. Look at this. This is commandment number one. Thou shalt love and honor the earth, for it blesses thy life and it governs thy survival. That's commandment number one. Earth is number one. Earth is in the, the God spot. Nothing is higher than that. As a matter of fact, one of the, I don't remember what commandment it is, but, but several more down, it says that you are to limit the number of children you have, for they are a burden on what is number one, the earth. Now, the Bible says just the opposite. Multiply and fill the earth, and nowhere does God say, and when the population gets to a certain amount, stop right there because my earth can't handle it anymore. Never says anything like that. But when earth is number one, then we limit humanity. As humanity is a, a burden on the earth. Now, folks, I'll be honest with you. I struggle a little bit here with how I both obey God and not look like an earth worshiper. Because, you know, God actually wants us to care for the earth. He, he gave it to us. He gave it to us in chapter one and he says, I want you to manage and care for the earth well. You know, if I give something to my kids and I, say, I want you to take care of this, I want you to management. I, I don't expect to come back the next day and find it broken. I, I don't expect to come back and find it abused. I want them to care for it. Watch over it. Well, the same thing is true for us. I mean, if man, we can recycle, recycle. If we can clean up pollution, we ought to clean up pollution. If we can increase and further our natural resources, we ought to do that. But how do we do that? Here's the hard part without looking like a earth worshiper. I in no way, shape or form want to look like I support the green movement at all. Folks, if you think the green movement is a bunch of, of, of tree huggers and dope smokers up in the mountains somewhere, you could not be. You are absolutely ignorant. And you have no understanding of the impact they're having on our lives today. It is the most powerful movement in the United States of America. Think about it. They are determining every single policy coming out of Washington. They are determining the policies to the tune of millions of dollars of most businesses in the United States. If you're operating as a business in the United States, if you're not thinking green, you better at least pretend like you are. You better at least look like you are because you can't do business in the United States anymore without looking like it. Folks, this is governing everything. It is directing our time. It is directing our money. Earth is number one. There's just one problem. Earth cannot help me at all with my sin. Earth can't do one thing for my life, my death, or my afterlife. 
Earth can't answer any of the hard questions about the problems, the hurts, and the disappointments in my life. Folks, earth doesn't belong in the God spot. And neither does a host of those other things I've already mentioned. And, I, and you know what? I, I haven't even mentioned the number one false god. You know who the number one false god is? The one that most of us, if not all of us, have bowed at the altar of? You. Oh, gosh, doesn't it feel good? I mean, when we make life all about ours, it's just... <sighs> it's just warm and tingly all over. There's just nothing better than when life's all about me. And if everybody will just kind of serve me and applaud me and just enjoy me and bring gifts to me, and ah, it just it is just something that feels right with, with me at the center of life. We all do it. You know what? Most of the arguments you have with your mate are because of what? Why they didn't make you the center of their life. A lot of the problems we have at work, they're not making me the center of life. They didn't make that decision based on what I wanted. You know, folks, it, it seems right. It even feels good to make life about you. It just doesn't work. Because guess what? No more than the earth can, can you answer the questions in your life about your sin, about your death, about your afterlife. It might feel good, but it doesn't work. Don't make life about you. You're just not God. You may be wonderful. You may be the coolest person you know. But you ain't God. Well, I don't know, Pastor. I feel like I'd run a pretty close second. I tell you what, we got a little stormwater management pond out here. Let me just see you walk across it. and We'll go from there. <laughs> we'll just go from there, okay? You're not God. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Now, I, I said a moment ago, a big question we might have is, do we even know what might be a false God in our life? As a matter of fact, I'm going to make a little bit of a distinction. Today, you might look at these first two commandments. Don't have other gods. And then it goes and makes another commandment about idols. Okay? The first commandment really has to do with things we unconsciously begin to serve and worship as God. The next commandment that we're going to look at next week deals with things we absolutely consciously choose to worship and above and beyond the true God. So if it's unconscious, how do I know if I'm putting things in the God spot that don't belong there? You know, and there's a couple of different ways we can do that. One, we can just do a little self-evaluation. I mean, I can ask myself, you know, what, where does my time go? Where does my money go? Where does my thoughts? What makes my heart beat? What, what, what gets me excited? In other words, what gives me a sense of purpose? What gives me a sense of meaning? What gives joy to my life? Where does my mind run to in a free moment? Where does that free dollar run to? Where's my energy? I can ask myself these kinds of things. And folks, you begin to see what's most important and possibly residing in your God spot. Now, here's the problem. Oh, my gosh, we will absolutely lie to ourselves, especially churchgoers. Especially because we know, well, I can't, you know, I can't say my stereo's in the God spot. That would just sound stupid. Jesus is in the God spot, right? I mean, that, we know what the answer is supposed to be. We know what's going to be wrong to say anything else. So we're going to lie to ourselves. Oh, no, absolutely. Jesus is in the God spot. Glory to God. <laughs> Folks, my saying it doesn't make it so. My saying that Jesus is number one in my life, Jesus is number one in my home, does not mean it's the truth. So let's just forget that whole way. I got a better way. Not self-evaluation. Let's ask somebody. 
That could get kind of touchy, couldn't it? Ask your children, what's the most important thing in your life? Ask a coworker. Say, well, they might think I'm weird. Oh, don't make a big deal out of it. Just walk up and say, hey, listen, I'm just thinking about something the other day. I'm just curious. What do you think is the most important thing in my life? And listen to their answer. Now, rule number one, don't tell them they're wrong. Don't tell them what they should have said. Folks, if you've got to tell them what they should have said, the problem ain't them. You want the truth? People will tell you the truth. They'll tell you what they hear. They'll tell you what they see. Just ask a very simple question. What do you think is most important in my life? Because you know what? What's most important always comes out. Nobody in here is hiding what's most important. It comes out. It's our heartbeat, remember? It's our joy. It's our excitement. We, well, matter of fact, we might have a horrible life, but boy, this part of my life, this is the only part that gives me a little bit of lift. This is the only part that feels good. It's coming out. So ask somebody, what's most important in my life? Let me tell you something. If you're afraid to ask somebody, that's a problem right there, isn't it? If you don't want to hear the answer, you got a problem. Will you this week? Ask somebody. Folks, we put stuff in there. I would love to say, you know what? You need to come to a place in your life where you make one huge, giant commitment. Whoom! Ah, there. God's in the God spot. Whoo, I've taken care of that. Yeah, like for five minutes. I mean, folks, things come in and out. Uh, there, I, I, this, I'd love to say daily, this sometimes is a minute-by-minute minute struggle. You know, man, in this moment right here, God's number one. I believe he's God. I want to worship him. I gave this hour to being here. I'm doing this. God's in the God spot. And man, then I can get home and all of a sudden I can begin to take him out of the God spot and put something else in. All, all kinds of things come in and out. But folks, it really does matter that we're very in tune with what we're doing. Because I go back to the ultimately we don't want to get stuck with the wrong God. Because he can't answer questions about my sin. It can't answer questions about life and death and afterlife. Only God can do that. And he does that. Watch this. Only the true God actually loves you. Do you realize none, not even people that we love and we think love us and appear to love us? Nothing loves us like the one true God. He is being loving when he tells us. As a matter of fact, if you still have your Bible open, look at verse 2. Did you notice what begins the Ten Commandments? It's not a commandment. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Before God gives any commands, he says, listen, I want you to know something. I did something for you. I'm for you. I am for your best life. I am for your freedom. I don't want you in slavery. I'm for you. I'm moving on behalf of you. When these commandments come... These commandments you're about to hear, they come from a God who's already moving on your behalf, who's already moving on your good. Hear them that way. Folks, nothing else loves me like that. The earth certainly doesn't do that. Only God loves you. And He is doing the most loving thing He can, while in your mind and our mind, my mind, it sounds self-centered to say, make me number one. But realize, we hear people say that, and we're all sinners. God's not. He's actually pure and perfect and holy and true. And the most true and loving thing He can say to you is, put me in the God spot. 
Nothing else is going to work there and you are going to spend a greater part of your life putting the wrong thing there. So here's something good for you. Put me in the God spot. So we got the commandment states in a little bit of a negative what not to do. Nothing before God. A positive way to say that is only God. Only God in the God spot. Now, folks, you know what? I think a lot of us in here, we believe that, don't we? We believe that and we want that. And yet, boy, we can have things moving in and out of that God spot. I tell you what, you know what sometimes I wish? I wish God would just conquer me. I mean, I trust him. So God, would you just come knock me over the head, drag me off and and just force your reign on my life so I don't mess this up anymore. Conquer me, God. But, But he doesn't do that. You know why? He doesn't need to. Conquering means I'm going to come and get something. I'm going to come and win something. I'm going to come and, and get something I don't have. Folks, God doesn't, isn't lacking anything. You don't have anything he needs. You don't have anything he wants. He doesn't need to conquer you. As a matter of fact, you're already conquered. You belong to him. He will be the one who will judge your life, whether you ever live in light of it or not. So he doesn't need to conquer. He's all about what he is for you. Folks, do you realize what God... Now, we just read what He did for the Egyptians. He freed them, or for the Israelites, He freed them from Egypt. He's done the same thing in your life. He has loved you in an incredible, awesome way before you even had an inkling of responding to Him. He created you. He loved you. He protected you, guided you, provided for you. You say, wait a minute, protected, guided, and provided. When did He do that? Folks, He does it every day. Sometimes we see it, sometimes we don't. A lot of times we don't acknowledge it at all. But our lack of acknowledging doesn't make it less true. God watched you choose sin over him. He watched you choose to put yourself in the God spot. And he realizes, he knows that in you making that choice, you have enslaved yourself to sin and death. And by death, I don't mean a funeral. I mean eternal separation from God in hell. You enslaved yourself to that. You can't do anything to correct it or remove yourself from it. Remember, now you still haven't responded. You still haven't done anything. And God created a plan, a way to rescue you from that sin. At a very high cost, the cost of His Son, Jesus Christ. God sent His Son into this world. His Son died on that cross for your sin, was resurrected, rose again, lives today at the right hand of God in authority and power. Then God... Sent the Bible. And the Bible reveals who He is and and what He's doing and all that we need to know about Him in our own lives. And then God sent the Holy Spirit so that we could understand the Bible, so that our minds and our hearts could come to life to understand the truth of who He is and what He's done for us. Folks, God did all of those things and a host of others before you even had an inkling of responding to Him. There's nothing God needs to conquer. This is about a relationship. This is about love. How will you respond? God says nothing else in the God spot. You make that choice. You live with the consequences of that choice. How can we how can we keep God in that God spot? Let me give you five ways very quickly that we can work daily at doing this. Number one, put him first in our praise. Put him first in our prayers. Folks, this is an everyday thing. Every day of your life, whether it takes 30 seconds or 30 minutes or all day long, every single day of your life, you should be praising God. You're praising things, 
You're praising people. You're appreciating and giving worth to things and people. Every day it should be to God. God, you are awesome. You are great. You are the one true God. You are my Lord and my King. And I thank you for number one, for number two, for number three. Every day we praise Him. Every day we thank Him. It's a way of acknowledging there is a God in this world and He has done good in my life. He is worthy of my praise, my adoration, and my thanksgiving. Put Him first in our praise. Put Him first in your mind. I think probably the best way to do that is be in this book every day. A little time in this. This is, this is the mind of God. This is His thoughts, His priorities, His will. Everything in here is of God. I put my mind in this, my mind will more and more conform to God, who he is, what he wants, what he's doing. Well, I want my mind to be on God. I start by putting it where God is. Number three, put him first in our conversation. Look for a place, a person, a way every day to talk about God. Boy, folks, this is all throughout the Psalms. Declare his praises to the nations. You know what that is? That's sharing the gospel. That's telling people about Jesus Christ and how they can be saved. The Psalms tell us to, to declare His good works to others. That's sharing our testimony. Sharing with believers, sharing with unbelievers, what God has done in my life. Big picture, what God has done in my life this week is constantly talking about who God is and what He's doing in our lives. The Psalms tell us to declare His praises to the next generation. Well, we've talked about that a lot this year with our, our legacy milestones, encouraging, challenging, helping parents become the primary discipler of their children, the primary faith trainer of their children, learning to talk about God in our homes. Folks, in, inside your bulletin each week, we started doing that this year, at the beginning of January. You got a little box there, faith talk. You know what that is? That box is there every single week just to help you talk about God. How, how can you leave the building here today and, and go home and, and as a family, at least once this week, have a conversation about God? Folks, it's very difficult, very, very difficult to have something be the most important thing in your life, to be in the God spot and you never talk about it. See, we, we've been lied to that, that our relationship with God is something personal, something very private. Now, unfortunately, you won't find a single verse in the Bible that suggests anything like that. As a matter of fact, what you'll find in the Bible is all that stuff I just quoted, just the opposite. It is to be very out loud. It is to be very public. It is to be very well known what is in our God spot. What's in the number one spot? Talk about it. Learn to talk about it. You know, I mentioned that question. Ask somebody else what's most important in your life. Do you know what they're going to answer? A big part of what they're going to answer is what they always who are you talking about, isn't it? And think about the people around you. What, you. You know what they think. You know what's important just by what you hear them constantly talking about. How can something be the most important in our lives? Nobody around us knows it. Put them first in your conversation. Put them first in your commitments. Well, we got all kinds of commitments, don't we? We got good commitments. We got some not so good commitments. And our commitments kind of define our life. Folks, we have one great commitment in life. One great commitment, and that's God. One priority, and that is God. I am, a firm, I am a firm unbeliever in this concept of multiple priorities. All my priorities are God and family. No, the Scripture doesn't tell me to have multiple priorities. The Scripture says I'm to have one priority. It is God. That's the only priority. That's the only commitment in my life. Now, how do I live out that priority with God in my home? How do I live it out? At work, 
How do I live it out in free time? How do I live it out in hobbies? How do I live it out in a personal life? How do I live it out in a particular relationship? Yeah, we got different places in life. One priority to live for God in each of those places. Folks, God's in charge. If he's in the God spot, that means he's God. I'm not. I do what he says every day of our life. God, what do you say about today? Put him first in your commitments. Number five, put him first in your time. That's dealing with how we serve him, how we love him, how we worship him. I think to some respect, if we're doing the first four, we're going to be doing the, the fifth one. Folks, you have been created with a God spot. And every day of your life, you're moving things in and out of that God spot. It is extremely important. We know who the one true God is. We put him in that spot. And then we work daily with disciplines like that to keep him in that spot. Because your tendency, my tendency, is to put other things there. And if we're not careful, we'll get stuck with wrong gods in the God spot. And it will destroy our lives out of kindness God says nothing else but me in the God spot let's pray heavenly father I would pray for us this week a a an insight a discernment into our own lives God would you Speak to us. Would you point out to us the things in our life that are competing for the spot that you and you alone should possess? Show us, God, the things that we're treating like a God. The things that we're serving and worshiping like a God. Would you give us that insight this week to do that and to see that? I pray we're just really sensitive to it. We're praying about it each day. Because, God, we want to get this right. I really believe I can pray that on, on behalf of almost all of us. God, we really do want you in that spot. We want to enjoy what it is to have a life that worships, honors, and exalts the one true God. A life that is rightly lived for the one true God. God, I don't want to waste a single moment of my life on a false God. Because it's, it's false. It's not true. Every moment spent on a false God is a moment lost, a moment wasted, a moment destroyed. And those moments make up my life, God. I don't want to do that. And I need your help. So that's why I'm asking, that's why we're asking God for wisdom and insight this week. To be really sensitive to what the false gods are in our life. And God, would you help us to incorporate these disciplines into our life so that you and you alone possess the God spot in our body and in our life. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray this. Amen.